today's uh, preach is not brought to you by the Traffic Council of Zimbabwe. Uh, it's not about road ca uh, carnage or road accidents or, or, uh, or, or things that happen badly in the roads. It's, I'm not here to tell you do not drink and drive, uh, which, which may be good for you, uh, not to drive, uh, but it's brought to you by what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's the message today. At this time of the year, most people are on the road tra traveling. Uh, and normally, when we think about people traveling, we norm I normally gravitate to those at the Baitbridge border post. It must be miserable traveling at this time of the year when, and you come across the Baitbridge border. I mean, um, normally when, when you go, go traveling and you come to the Baitbridge border and it's not a holiday, it's tiresome, it's, it's hectic. But I feel sorry for those during a, a season like that when you come to the border post and you come to the Baybridge border. And uh, for me, when I travel, the thing that uh, is hectic for me is not really the border post. I, I've, I've done those trips countless times um, and I've, I'm now kind of used to the border post. But the thing that's hectic for me is when I board a bus and I have to jump into a bus, a bus without much leg room, and it's quite for me. Um, I'm, I'm not the tallest person, but that legroom is not enough for me. And, uh, and it's a 10-hour trip back to, to Zim or, or going to South, uh, just in the bus. And not, we're not concerned uh, just um, the, the fact that you meet up Baybridge border post. But the Baybridge post is, um, is, a, is a relief for me because I've been sitting in a bus and I've been un uncomfortable for quite some time. And, when, and um, it, it, it takes normally 10, uh, two hours for, two, two days, sorry, for me to, to get over the fatigue and the pain I would have gone through. I remember the one time we, we uh, boarded the bus from here, uh, Bulawayo, all the way. We were going to Balito. So we boarded the bus, uh, got to, uh, at 2 o'clock, uh, got to Park Station at 4 o'clock in the morning, waited until 8 o'clock. We boarded from Park Station to Durban. Uh, uh, it, it, uh, we got to Durban at uh, 4 o'clock. We were practically in the bus for approximately 20, 20 hours. And that was quite painful. We'll never forget what happened in that bus. We met a gentleman who we sat with in that bus. This guy, um, I took the aisle seat. I normally take the aisle seat. Butler took the, the middle seat, and this guy took the window seat. And this guy, whether he was tired or he was more tired than we were, he did the most uh, amazing thing. This guy was uh, as, probably as big as Shane. He rolled himself up, put his legs up on the seat, and he went to sleep. Remember, the seats and buses are quite confined. It's quite, there's not a lot of leg room. But this guy managed to sleep, roll himself up, defy all therapeutic laws of comfort, and went to sleep. No alcohol in his system. He just defied comfort. This guy, if he possibly went, uh, had a career path, if he had to choose a career path, I'll probably think he's an interior uh, decorator because he could use or maximize small spaces. 
he would have done so well with small spaces. Today's message is the window seat. In my evening, I've realized that people love the window seat. People will fight for the window seat. They will kill for the window seat if it were possible. They will lie for the window seat. Whether it's a public transport or private transport, people love the window seat. They, whether it's a bus, a train, a plane, and imagine even a squash cut, they love the window seat. And they love the window seat not because of our dear friend who was able to roll himself up and go to sleep. They love the window seat because it's got the best view on the journey. You have the best uh, seat in the journey. Your view is, is uh, you have a multiple view. You're not confined just to the conversation that's happening in the, in, in the vehicle or the mode of transport that you're using. But you can also just escape to the, to the landscape or, or the view that's outside. The window seat is, is something that people really, really love. And I believe as Christians, it has something to very deep for us to, to understand and learn from. But for, for us, in order for us to learn from the window seat, there are a couple of things that we need to consider and re realize. I, I, I would assume some people have never realized this. Number one, control. The first thing about the window seat is that if you're going to take the window seat, you don't have control of driving. You can't drive. You are in the passenger seat. There are three people that I'm going to talk about today. The, the passenger and the one or the, the, the navigator or the passenger at the back. Driver, navigator, passenger. And if you have the window seat, you can't be the driver. You can't be the navigator. You're just a passenger. And our lives as Christians and believers, we ought to live life like that, where God has reign in our lives, where God has rule in our lives, where God gives direction in our lives. The Bible says in John 10 verse um, 4, it says, it says, I'm the shepherd and I go before my sheep and they follow me. I'm the shepherd and I go before my sheep and they follow me. A stranger's voice they will not hear to. And we ought to be people that follow the voice of God. Sheep in na by nature do not are not leaders. I like the, the, uh, how the scripture defines us. It says we are sheep. The Bible says Jesus looked at the crowd and he saw that there were helpless sheep that needed a shepherd. You and I without God are helpless sheep that need a shepherd. And we need a shepherd in order to live this life. I, um, most people will would rather take control of, of their, de uh, their demio steering wheel and sit in front and take control of their lives, jump into their cars, start the ignition, put their car in gear, go down the highway uh, of life, all, bec all because they want control of their lives. They, there is no God in their lives. They, 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 they think they can make it by themselves and they go down the highway of life 
and then they come to a bridge border and realize they're not that clever. You and I need God in our lives. We cannot take the steering wheel of life and go down life without God. You and I need God. The Bible says the following. It says that what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world but lose his very soul? You can have control of your life but lose control. You may think you, may, you have control, but you have lost control. Along the highway of, of life, constantly there's a, a GPS that every person, whether born again or not born again, has, which, is, which, is, which has been manufactured by the Holy Spirit. If you're not born again, the, the GPS is constantly, constantly crying out, in 300 meters, receive Jesus Christ. But because you are set in your ways, you're set in, in, in the ways that I will not follow Jesus Christ, you go down that way, you would miss the 300 meter peg, uh, peg, but because God is so gracious, he says again, in 400 meters, receive Jesus Christ. But you're still set in your own ways. You're set in your ways that you won't receive Christ. And you wonder why your life is a wreck without Christ. Paul says the following in Galatians 2 verse 20. Paul writes to a church in Galatia where he says um, Christ had been, had been, uh, had been portrayed as, as crucified he, in their eyes. Christ had been portrayed as crucified in their eyes. He says the following. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And he uses a terminology they call saying he has been crucified with Christ. Think about it. Paul had never been crucified with Christ. All Paul is saying is, I was a passenger in the crucifixion of Christ. I was in the window seat. I've been crucified with Christ. And when you think about the crucifixion of Christ, it was no, no joke. It was no walk in the park. It was no uh, moment in when Jesus was, was basking by the swimming pool or by the lake and said, Hey, bro, I'm just going to get crucified today for the salvation of, of uh, multitudes of people. That wasn't how Christ went through the crucifixion. When you, the scriptures actually show us... Uh, or tell us the, emotion, the emotional and physical agony that Jesus Christ went through as he went through, through the last moments of, of his life here on earth. And it wasn't quite an easy moment. It wasn't quite an easy moment. In Matthew, in Matthew 20, 26, verse 38 to 30, it's the following. My soul, speaking to the, to the disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death. My soul is very sorrowful even unto death. Then he turns and kneels down and prays to the Father and says, My Father, if this cup, if it were possible, let this cup pass over me. But not my will, but your will. Jesus is a perfect example of a man who lived in the steering wheel, his own steering wheel. He didn't direct his own life. 
he let God direct his life. He sat here at the back and let God decide, direct where he would go. We ought to imitate God. We ought to imitate what he did. When we think about the crucifixion, the, the Bible says in Luke 22 verse 44 that as Jesus Christ was praying this prayer, his blood became, uh, his sweat became as great drops of blood. I mean, if you had some, if most of us had to think about a moment that we are, we're about to die, most of us would pee our pants. But Jesus Christ's blood became, his sweat became like great drops of blood. Scientists say that um, that only happens when the sweat glands explode and they release blood through the sweat glands because of intense agony, emotional and physical agony and stress. As I thought about the moments that he would have to go through, the moment that his best friend or his very close friend would betray him with a kiss. You don't let your enemy keep your money. Judas wasn't Jesus' enemy. He was very close to Jesus. The moment as he thought that he would go through a hard trial where you would be beaten and accused falsely. He started sweating as he was praying. The moment that he would be tied on a, on a pole and the cat and nine tail whip made of metal balls and, and animal bo uh, bones would rip through his flesh, tearing his flesh. Stress went through his, his mind and his whole body. The moment three centimeter thorns, one inch thorns, would go through his skull as they beat it so that it could fit on his head. The moment he had to carry a 32 crossbeam up a mountain to Golgotha, this wasn't. This wasn't CrossFit. It wasn't a moment for him to work out his muscles. He was thinking about you. He was so stressed. The moment nine-inch nails went through his, the palm of his hands, 22-centimeter nails went through the palm of his hands, As they host, hosted up the cross, most probably his shoulder dislocated and he couldn't breathe. So the only comfort he could have was pushing himself up on the very nails that had hit him and pushing himself up so that he could breathe. But the worst thing was, the worst thing 
was his father forsaking him for you and me. His father turning his back away from him. And at the cross, Jesus for the first time uses this word. My God, my God. Jesus never called God, God. He called him Father. The relationship had been severed at that moment. He was just God and he was just another human being who was carrying the sins of the world. In John, in John 10, verse 11, he says, Good shepherd, I lay my life down for my sheep. I'm for my sheep. So that they are no longer lost, but they can find rest in the back seat. When you and I receive Jesus Christ, we, we enter the back seat. Or we decide to enter the back seat. We find what's called rest. Just like our friend, that's my second point. Just like our friend in, in the bus, he found rest in the, in the midst of the most unusual place. The most peculiar and unfamiliar place he found rest. Rest is a product of, of trust. You cannot rest when you do not trust. A perfect example is if I had to give you a ticket to, to board a Boeing 737 MAX right now, you may sleep, but you won't rest. Your mind will be running throughout that trip. But Christ um, told his disciples and said, hey, let's go to the other side. If, uh, as a church, we've been going through, uh, 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 we've been going through a, a theme called The Other Side. If you, if you haven't uh, heard um, or you would like to follow those messages, they are on SoundCloud or you, you can go to King City website and you'll find them there. But he said, let's go to the other side. And he got onto the boat to his disciples. And yet, when the storm started hitting the ship or the boat, he was able to sleep because his trust was in God. Therefore, he could rest. But the trust that the disciples had was a trust in their own skill and in their own experience. But Jesus Christ trusted God. He sat in the back seat. I've seen it with my, with my children. Whenever we travel a long distance, we jump into the car and they sit in the back seat. They, uh, as, we go, as we go wherever we're going, in, in, initially there'll be best friends playing with each other, uh, having after a couple of hours, they are on top, on each, at each other fighting. Then after a couple of hours, they are on each other. They're sleeping. Because I, hopefully they... They trust that the driver will get them where they're supposed to, get, to go. And for you and I to, for you and I to, to get the back seat, we need to trust God. We need to be in a position where we trust God. When you take the back seat, you're not overly concerned about the donkey on the road. You're not concerned about the road around the pothole, or is it the pothole in the road? You're not too concerned about the, 
the inflation rate, you're not concerned about the bread price going up, you're not concerned about the politics of the nation, you're not concerned about the, the, the US dollar and the, the RTG dollar uh, rate because there is a driver. But if you, are, if you find yourself concerned about that, that means you're a navigator. You are in the front seat telling God and what to do. And all the men said, Amen. You're telling what to do, where to go. Turn left. Stop here. Why don't we ask so and so? You do not trust the driver. And the men said, Amen. <laughs> you don't trust the driver. You're just a navigator. You you would do so well in the Dakar rally. Navigating, showing where to go and what to do. And most people's lives are like that. You again, you've given the steering wheel to Jesus Christ or to God, the Father. But yet, only telling him where and what to do. He is not in control. You are in control still. Jesus says the following. He says, come all you who are heavy, la heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Rest is a product of trust. But trust is the fruit of maturity. And maturity in, in, the, in the kingdom of God is, is not the way we think maturity is. Maturity in the kingdom of God, everything in the kingdom of God is upside down. What we think is maturity in the kingdom of God is not the way we think it is. Because in the kingdom of God, we would think maturity is taking the steering wheel. But maturity is actually sitting in the back seat. That's what maturity in the kingdom of God is. A perfect example is found in John 21 verse uh, 18. John 21, verse 18. This is after Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And the disciples, because they are still in the steering wheel, and they, 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 or they're navigating and having control over their own lives, they decide, let us go fishing. Let us go fishing. And they go fishing, and they do not catch anything overnight. They, they twirl, and they try by all means. To, to catch something, but they don't. In the morning, there is this gentleman walking by the shore. And, this, and they, he, he calls out to the disciples and says, Children, have you caught anything? And they, they say, We have not caught anything all night. They to them, cast your net on the right side. Cast your net on the right side. Not on the wrong side, cast it on the right side. Not on the left side, but cast it on the right side. And they, they follow the instruction. They follow the instruction. And by following the instruction, they get back to the back seat. And they catch 153 fish. And when they realize, John realizes that's the Lord. He jumps in. Uh, Peter, because he's still in his, uh, he has taken off his garment. Uh, he, he puts on his clothes. He swims to Jesus. And I wonder how many of us. Normally, when we, well, uh, during the week, we, we live a proper, we, we live a life without our garments. And when we come to church, we put our garments on. But he comes to Christ. And Jesus has, uh, has set a fire, 
uh, and, and then they have breakfast. And Jesus, after breakfast, says to Peter, let's take a walk. And John, let's take a walk. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than all these? Because previously, before Jesus had died, Peter had said, I love you more than all these. I would die for you, and I'll even go to prison for you. And he uses the word, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter responds, Lord, I love you like a brother. I phileo you. Then Jesus, asks, then Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Then he says to him, Peter, do you? This time he, he takes out all these. He says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? He says, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. He says, tend to my sheep. The third time, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you, I mean, do you phileo me? He goes down to the standard of Peter. Do you phileo me? And Peter, I grieved that Jesus had asked him for the, for the third time and that he had raised down the standard from agape to phileo to just brotherly love. He says, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. And he says, keep my sheep. Then he says to Peter the following. John 21 verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you were young, when you were immature, when you were still a baby, you took control of, the, of, the, of your life. You wanted to be in control of your own life. You were immature. You actually took a sword and cut somebody's ear. Because you thought the kingdom was, was going to be won by the sword. You actually came to me and said, I am not going to the cross. You were very immature. You were a baby. You denied me three times, Peter. You were a baby. But he continues and says, But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. You will, when you're now mature, you will actually act like a baby. I've seen it with my children uh, as they were growing up. They will run to and fro and, and you, you wouldn't be able to, to stop them. Hey, come here. But they would want to go that side. Hey, come near. They would want to go that side. But after some time, when they're now tired, they'll come and, like as Jesus was saying, they'll stretch out their hands because they're now tired and you pick them up. And they would go where you wanted to go. They were in your control. So for you and I to be, to be led by God, we need to be like babies, stretching out our hands and saying, Lord, direct me. Lord, lead me. What our lives ought to be like. And I know most people, when, when, they, when they think about... Uh, God directing them and leading them, they think the worst. God will send me to Timbuktu. God will, will send me uh, to, to, uh, to minister to 
uh, the, the Syrians where, where they chop off Christians' heads. God will send me to these funny places. But it's not like that. The Bible says, I know the plans for, that, that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil. God has a plan for you, and he wants the maximum life for you. God knows the plans he has for you. If you've ever been to South, when you cross over the Bay Bridge um, uh, border post, the, the highway is, is, um, is, um, is, is, has, has uh, stopovers here and there. You can stop over whenever uh, you feel tired and, and uh, you're able to, to pull in and just get what you need. The Bible says uh, of, of, uh, of our shepherd, Jesus. Christ. He is like a good driver. He will take you to a place of provision. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Our shepherd is like a good driver. He takes us to a place of rest. He leads me. He lays me down beside green pastures. Our shepherd is like a good driver. He leads you to a place of refreshment where you can buy your Cokes, your, your drinks, your, your coffee, and just go to the restroom and be refreshed. He leads me beside quiet waters. Our shepherd is like a, a good driver. He restores your soul. He restores my soul for his name's sake. Our shepherd is like any good driver. He does not take you to a fuel queue. He just parks you right by the fuel pump. And make sure that you don't, you don't get E93 fuel. And make sure that you don't get E95 fuel. And make sure that you don't get unleaded fuel. But he anoints your head with oil. And your cup overflows. Your jerry cans overflow. It's not written, no jerry cans. But our shepherd... Jesus Christ, the work that he did on the cross allows you and I to be filled and our cup overflows. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I would not fear no evil. Though I walk through Zim, the situations in Zim, he has the steering wheel. I'm just in the parking. I'm just a passenger. I'm just by the window seat. I'm just looking at what he has done. And I'm looking outside at what is happening. And I'm seeing, yes, there are storms, but I am concentrating on the conversation that I'm having with Jesus Christ in that vehicle. If you've been raised with Jesus Christ, if you've been raised with him, set your mind on things above and not on things on earth. Colossians 3 verse 1 to 2. Set your mind on things above and not things on earth where Christ is seated at the right hand of Jesus, of, of God. Kilton spoke about position last week, position and practice. Where is your position? Because your position would determine your practice. Where is, where are you seated? Remember years ago, there was this show called Pimp My Ride. I don't know. How many people know Pimp My Ride? Okay. Pimp My Ride, uh, for those who never watched it, it was a show where people write to the producers of uh, Pimp My Ride and ask them to pimp their ride. And uh, your, your car had to be a car that was old, dilapidated, and the laughing stock of the community. And if you were fortunate enough, what they would do is, if you were chosen, 
the presenter of Pimp My Ride would come to your doorstep and tell you, hey, it's, you're, you're the lucky one. We're going to take your car and we're going to sprouse it up. We're going to make it new and, and do work on your car. And they would take your car, but you would remain at home, not knowing exactly what car. And when they took your car, they would take it to the sound guys. The sound guys would work on your car. Make sure that you get the best sound system. They would take your car to, to the interior uh, designers or decorators, and the, the, those would work on the leather seats, and they'll make sure that you get the, your, your uh, where the, some cars would, 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 would jacuzzis in, there, in the car, and, uh, or, or disco lights in the car, but the owner just didn't know what was happening to the car. The world guys would put new mags on the, on, on, the, on, the, on the car. And the engine guys would work on the engine so that when you turn by the corner of your, heart, by, of the, your street, your neighbor would hear that, yeah, so-and-so is now here. It would make noise. And then they would bring the car back to the owner. And it's always amazing. How when the owner saw the car, they were so amazed, the transformation that had happened. You may be here today, and you feel like your life is old, dilapidated. It has no purpose. It is, there's no meaning in your life. The Holy Spirit is right there by your saying, I can transform your life. I can take you to one who can make your life better. And his name is Jesus Christ. And this is Christ, our good shepherd. He will work on your life. He will give you purpose. He will give you meaning. The Bible says, I've come that you may have life to the fullest. You see, the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross was so that we could have life to the fullest. 2,000 years ago, when he went through all those terrifying and gruesome and excruciating uh, moments, it was so that you and I could a life that God has called us to have. So if you've never received Jesus Christ, your, your life has been in the steering wheel. You've had the steering wheel in your hands for, life, for, for ages. Or... You have received Jesus Christ and you're still by the navigating seat telling him what to do. I'd like, us to, I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. This prayer does not take you to heaven. It does not uh, bring your relationship right with God. This prayer is just a, a recital of what your heart is already feeling, what your heart is already going through. The heart is crying for salvation. It's crying for a shepherd. And I'll invite the church also to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. The work of the cross. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he was raised from the dead. I thank you for 
his saving grace. And today, I'm proud to be called a child of God. Amen. Amen.